0: Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis. I am the pastor here, and for uh, live and live stream, I'm always uh, glad to be able to connect with you uh, today and every time that we gather together. And this is the fourth week of this learning curve series, a series that's all been been about being apprentices of Jesus. And uh, today's message is called "You Don't Expect to Hear That in Church." You don't expect to hear that in church, and I'll tell you in, in a little bit what it is, this thing that you don't expect to hear in church. But this message, now the earlier messages in this series have come from the Gospel of Mark chapter eight, and y'all have dug into that, and that's great. Today, we deviate from the plan, but it's okay. It's all, everything will be okay. And it comes from another New Testament book called First John, the letter of First John. And so if you have your Bible with you, uh, it's all way near the back almost towards the book of revelation first John chapter 3 and verses 4 through 10 you bet but perhaps your Bible is loaded onto your phone and uh, if it's neither of those places you don't have one that looks like this it's not on your phone the words will be up on the screen and and we uh, uh, people at good shepherd know this and if you're you're new with us you might just be learning it this thing looks like a book but it is not a book it's a library and the the book of first John written by, we're almost certain the same John who wrote the gospel of that. It's from the section of the library called correspondence. And, and that's important to know for some things I'm going to, going to tell you in a little bit. It's a letter that John wrote the first of three that made it into the Bible. And, and a good shepherd. We, we, you know, we, we, we do talk about at this church about how we believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And, but I've just been realizing that at this church, we don't worship the Bible, but we love it. And we, you, you may not yet, may be odd and strange and alien to you, but I just want you to know, we love the scripture because we help, we believe it helps us adore the saviour. That's really what, what we're about. And, and because we love the scripture and the ways that it helps us adore the Savior, we do an odd thing with it. We lift it up together when we talk about the Bible. And again, if you're, if you're new here, you hadn't tuned in before, this might look strange. Believe me, we admit that it's strange. We understand that it's odd. We've just discovered that we like being a collection of oddballs, that, that we, we believe this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people, glad to be surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? So before I say any more words, let's pray. So God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired John, not only to write his gospel, but to write these letters and Thank you, Lord, that we can grow to love your scripture so that we might adore our Savior. And I ask that you would help all of that happen through my words today. Fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with who you are and what you're about. I am powerless without you. Thank you, Lord. Because of you, I'm not helpless. Amen. So uh, get this, good shepherd. God does not forgive sin. You heard that right. God doesn't forgive sin. And some of you are like, what? Talbot, we're in church and this is Palm Sunday where we Remember how Jesus went into Jerusalem that, that, on, on that first day of that week and he ends up on the cross and everybody who knows anything about anything knows that he goes to the cross to forgive sin. And you're like, Talbot, I know this series is called Learning Curve and, and, and maybe you've wanted to open our minds by, 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 with this Learning Curve, but Talbot, I think your mind has become so open that your brain fell out. God. Does not forgive sin. Now, some of you hearing me say this thing that you didn't expect to hear in church, you greet that with a yawn because you're not really sure you believe in God at all yet. You're not really sure what to make of the whole church thing yet. But somewhere along the line and, and you, you, but you do think that if, that if you ever get to the place where you do believe in God, the God that you're gonna believe in isn't going to be concerned with such old fashioned topics and old fashioned words like sin. In fact, deep down you, you think that sin belongs in a word museum and by word museum, I mean you place sin alongside words like, I don't know, typewriter, horse and buggy, things that that used to be relevant but now they're just relics of what life the way life used to be and isn't it quaint and and yeah so you hear me say this thing that you didn't expect here god doesn't forgive sin and you are like yeah maybe and then others of you you're you're a little bit more sure about god than than the group that I just talked about and but you're also Thought you were uh, maybe a little bit more sure about this church, and and you looked on the website, and 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 it didn't say Good Shepherd Baptist Church, it didn't say Good Shepherd Bible Church. You you, you thought it said somewhere around there Good Shepherd Methodist Church, and even though this ain't like ain't like no Methodist church you've ever seen, before, can I hear an amen for that? Yeah. Somewhere along the line, you, you you thought, well, maybe 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 Methodists don't talk as much about things like sin. And, Hell's Bible churches or Baptist churches, and maybe, maybe you're like the pastor of our church in New Jersey way back in the day, and it was a Methodist church. and And he he said in a sermon one time he was commenting commenting about those bumper stickers that said "I found it." Very 80s these bumper stickers. And when the bumper sticker said "I found it," that means I I found life and joy and happiness and salvation. I found all of that in Jesus. I found it. And and our pastor in New Jersey, he stood up and he said, kind of with the air of sophistication, well, I didn't know I'd ever lost it. Meaning I, I was born good and I was born smart and I was born enlightened and I didn't really ever lose anything to have to find. He wasn't real big on sin. And, and so maybe that's a little bit the way that that you are, you, you're you you kind of sure about God, but you don't want to. You don't want to come to. It's okay that we lift the Bible. You're just like, please don't thump it, and you, you don't want to. Yeah, that was good. You don't want to hear messages of, uh, uh, about guilt, and you you certainly don't want to hear a message about turn or burn. And then others of you, 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 you're like, you're a little more steady in your faith, and you understand that. Sin and salvation and heaven and hell are real. And actually, one of the reasons you, you kind of connected with the church is because we're pretty strong on all, all, all of those things as well. And then you, you walk in and maybe even brought somebody you love or want to impress with you. And, and the message starts out with, God doesn't forgive sin. And you're like, what in the world is, you didn't say in the world, what in the world is going on here? to deal at all with this land of confusion i've just sowed in all of you you need to know where i get where i'm going from the new testament letter of first john chapter 3 and verses 4 and following so you might you might want to locate that but as i mentioned 1 John is in the correspondence section of the New Testament. So helpful to understand that the Bible is a library. But what you may not know is that virtually every letter in the New Testament, every incidence of correspondence in the New Testament really has two purposes. It's written to correct false teaching and it's written to protect true believers. Way more than we realize Almost every letter that's in the New Testament is written because it's written against some folks and it's written to others. Because from the very earliest days of the church, wacky teaching started infecting it and infiltrating it. And sometimes you're like, when when you see things that get taught in the name of the church today, you're you're like, I can't believe what I just saw. And, And I'm like, oh, really? Go look back in the New Testament and you'll see this stuff is nothing new. Well, that's the case of First John. And the, uh, the opponents that John is writing against as, as he writes sort of to comfort believers, the opponents he's addressing, they had some really wacky beliefs. Get, get this, if you can comprehend it. The, the people who had infiltrated the church churches that John was writing to were teaching that it was really good to sin because the more you sinned, the more grace God would pour out. So in, in an odd way, when you upped the level of your sin, you were bringing glory to God because he had to up the level of his grace to cover all that bad stuff that you done did. That, that doesn't, make, it doesn't make any, even, even those of you who aren't very religious, you're like, I know that's not right. And, and those of you a little more grounded in your faith, you're like, that is so strange. The, the idea that you would you would teach, hey, you all, if you want to be a really good follower of Jesus, just live it up. Sin out loud and sex and drugs and rock and roll and hip hop and country and all other categories combined. And you'd God is most glorified in you when you are most disobedient to him. And as you might imagine, this was like popular in, in John's day. You mean, you mean the, the, the more crummy stuff I do, the more self-destructive stuff that I do, the more God gets honored? And they're like, yeah, well, sign me up. In, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the guy that back in the day, guy I knew and he was in college and preparing to go to seminary and then ministry afterwards and and seminaries where yeah, after college where where a lot of pastors go for graduate level training and kind of how to do what I'm doing and and so so far so good except this guy at this college he's a, he's seminary to be minister in training and, and and yet he made no secret of the fact that he was living with his college girlfriend and all the premarital shenanigans that that involves and, and, and which is not God's design for his people. It wasn't true in the eighties and it's not true today. And, and especially not true for pastors in training. And, and and so, but what was interesting is the way that this guy would, because he wasn't, it wasn't at all shy about it. And the the way that he would explain it to people is that he was doing, doing this now. He's living with his college girlfriend now because he wanted to be able to understand and empathize with the struggles and the temptations that the people in the churches that he would serve in upcoming years are going through. It was, it was fornication as advanced empathy, which is just genius. Actually, I mean, I mean, you just look at his pre-seminary curriculum. He's looking at all the classes he's got to take to go to seminary. He's got, well, I got public speaking, and I got English, and I got psychology, and I got rhetoric, and I got premarital sex. Check, 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 check. It's just all of it. Golden. Well, that's, that's what John is addressing. People who are believing exactly those kind of things, the more you live it up and the more you send it out, the more glory God gets. And so all that, behind, all that is behind these really kind of stern words that John brings. Look at how this particular section starts in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So remember, you, you, you're like, well, that just seems to come out of nowhere. No, it doesn't, because he has some opponents he has to correct, people who are saying, sin is God-honoring, and, and John's like, no, 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 no. Sin is lawlessness, verse five. Look how he begins the next. But you, but you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. You might wanna underline in your Bible, take away our sins. Our sins And where does he, where does he take them to? Hmm. Ponder that. We might come back to it. Take away our sins. Verse six, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning and, and uses their public defiant sin as, as a way of saying, God's really good. God, God is most glorified in me when I am most sinful against him. Next sentence, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And, and, and we're almost sure John's speaking there of the, the sin. there's some sin that remains in the lives of believers and then there's sin that reigns, dominates their lives. And he's, he seems to be addressing more that second than he is the first. And, and then skip down to verse eight, which is really the, 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 the heart of everything. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then I love this. The reason the son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. Man, that's serious. The reason that the son of God, the reason that the son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, what was not to coexist with the devil's work, but ultimately to demolish it and to destroy it. And when it talks about the devil's work there, that's not talking about people. It's not talking about you and, and me and us, because we're not the devil's work. There's not a single one of you, not a single one of us who is the devil's work. We're, we're made in the image of God. We're the Lord's work. But the devil's work, what is it that the devil has sown from the very beginning? That's sin, both in, in the global scale Nazis, Germany, Soviet Union's communism, slavery, and Jim Crow in the American South whole nationwide understandings of the world in which one group of people uses another group of people and calls it good. And, and John is saying that that global kind of sin and rebellion and mistreatment of God's people, that's ultimately what God is going to destroy. But, but right now, some of you are feeling pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, he, yeah, that's what he's going to do to Nazi Germany and, and, and communist Russia and, 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 and th- that's what he's going to do or what he's already done to slaveholders and all that. And, and then, But it's not just the global sin, it's the, it's the individual sin. It's the, the lie you told, the slur you hurled, the vow you broke. the body you abuse, and at the end of everything, when Jesus does come back and Jesus is coming back, at the end of everything, he will not coexist with rebellion, he will demolish it. That at the end of everything, everything and really and everyone that has ever stood up in opposition to the things of God, to the goodness of God, all of that won't be all just there, 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 there. No, it will be utterly and completely destroyed. He came to destroy the devil's work. And yet, what does Jesus say? Back to the learning curve. What has Jesus told his closest followers as, as he is headed towards the cross. It's in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. Check it out, it's up on the screen. He says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life as a ransom for people. And so there you see, ah, there's the distinction. There's the sin that people commit, the things that we do individually and globally. And then there's the eternal soul that we are. And all of a sudden, it is so clear why I said at the very beginning, well, God doesn't, be, doesn't, God doesn't forgive sin. And some of you are like, I, I'm about ready to leave this church. No, here it is. God doesn't forgive sin. He forgives the sinner and destroys the sin. As I heard a pastor say one time, it's not about just getting, making sure that individual sins are for, God forgives the sinner and one day, one day soon when Jesus does come back to judge the quick and the dead, he will not overlook sin anymore. He'll overwhelm it. He won't coexist with that which we're, which rebels against him. He will absolutely demolish it. God doesn't forgive sin. He's got a different agenda for sin. God forgives the sinner. That's you and that's me. And hallelujah, because we are more priceless and eternal in his sight than any sin that we ever committed. God doesn't forgive sin. He forgives the sinner and destroys the sin. Now I know this sounds jarring to some of you. Un- uh, unsettling even. And, and you know why? I, I think that's because so many of us have learned or conditioned ourselves to think that sin is not really any big deal. I mean, that God kind of winks at sin. That's what, we, that's what we do, at least with our sin. The, the sin of other people's, we don't wink at it at all. We put it on social media. And we rage about the sin that other people could, we get so mad at other people's sin, but our sin, you know, you, you, uh, the, 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 I, I hear this line a lot coming out of people's mind. God's too busy to worry about a, no, he's not. The only reason you think that God's too busy to worry about it is because you're the one doing it. We, We fail to appreciate the stench of sin in the nostrils of God. We think it's just the way we were raised. We think it's mistakes that we made. We we think it's maladjustment. No! There is a stench of sin. And it does affect the nostrils of God. And some of you are like, that sounds so Baptist. And I'm like, no, it's just biblical. And to the degree Baptists are biblical and they are. Can we hear an amen for the Baptists? God, God doesn't forgive sin. He forgives the sinner and destroys the sin because sin is not trifling. Sin is not minor. Sin is not something we wink at. Sin is this incredible offense to the holiness of God. And thank God, thank God that he has come up with a plan to separate us from our sin. Because if you die without being separated from your sin, you're going to spend eternity separated from your God. And I don't want it to happen to any of us. God doesn't forgive sin. He's got a different agenda for sin. He's gonna demolish it. How? What that looks like, I don't know. I just believe, I believe John when he says, he will destroy the devil's work. But also, I also believe John when he says, write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Not hope, not think, not wish. No, you have eternal life. See, some of you, 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 you th- this. I hope and pray this is liberating because you, you've come to think that, and and, and it's one of the the aftereffects of the implication of like the confession booth, which has a lot of good things about it psychologically, at least. But sometimes we're we're conditioned to think that that we have to remember all of our sins and name them. And if there's ever a sin that we forget, that we forget to, to name, and so it gets forgiven in the confession booth, we're still liable, as if our sins are like bottles on a fence post, and God, shoot, got, got that one. Got that one. Got that one. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus's blood is so comprehensive, it forgives the sins that you're all too aware that you committed because they blew up your life and ruined your family but he also forgives the sins that you have no idea. You have no memory of his. It's not about your memory. It's about his blood and his blood is always sufficient and always perfect. When you say yes to Jesus, you pledge this loyalty oath, not to your memory, but to his blood. God doesn't forgive sin. He does better. He forgives the sinner. Believe me, he's gonna destroy the sin. And then others of you, I, I really hope this is whitening, liberating, because it helps us remember that, that sin is not some nebulous. Sin is not some other people do. Not some nebulous vapor. To, to be human is to be a sinner. Now, again, that sounds harsh that people don't talk. How many, how many of you use the word sin at work this week? It's not common. You do talk about, well, he's a, and she's a, and you don't fill in the blank with sinner, do you? And yet that's really what you're talking about. And, and so when you recognize, no, to be human, is to be a sinner. You may have people you know and love for whom that is deeply offensive. They would never accept that about themselves. And and I have people in my own family the exact same way. Just because it's offensive doesn't mean it's not true. And so when we come to grips with that fact and with that reality, yeah. I got to make sure that I ultimately, that after I die, I will be separated from my sin so that I will not be separated from my God. Think about it this way. There's not one part of your life, not a single part of your life, that doesn't go better with less sin. There's not not a part, see, most of the time, we just wanna get away with our sin and and God wants to get it gone. But there's not one part of your life that doesn't go better with less sin. Those of you who are in recovery, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know why you know exactly what I'm talking about? Because you don't have to waste so much time lying anymore. Back when you were drinking or drugging or gambling or cutting, you, you had to come up with all kinds of excuses that sounded better. Well, I drank too much and blacked out. That, that wasn't an excuse that sounded very good. And now that you're in recovery and you're living into sobriety, you don't have to think up all those lies. Can I hear an amen for that? You don't have to think up all those lies anymore. And it is so liberating. You know better than anyone. There's not a single area of your life that doesn't go better, much better. With less sin, no sin. I guess I guess what I'm saying is, if, if sin is gonna be destroyed in the there and the then, how about God's people just have a dress rehearsal where it gets destroyed in the here? and the now. God doesn't forgive sin. He does so much better. He forgives the sinner and he destroys the sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your blood is greater than our memory. Thank you, Lord, that Your longing for our soul is greater than that which our bodies and minds have committed. And I pray now, Lord, that you would bring your goodness and your grace to bear on every single one of us within the sound of my voice. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray.